The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program as we roll into uh, hour three of our three-hour tour. Sorry, I had to pick up the, the phone line there. Sorry for that little uh, interruption there. But um, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour, known as the Tom Sumner Program, we're going to shift gears and talk about uh, something a little bit different. I have uh, joining me by phone um, Andrea Press, who is a Professor of Media Studies and Sociology at the University of Virginia, along with Francesca Tripodi. Uh, assistant Professor of Information and Library Science and Senior Researcher at uh, the Center for Information Technology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. They have co-written a book called Media Ready Feminism and Everyday Sexism, How U.S. Audiences Create Meaning Across Platforms. And we're going to find out what all that means from Andrea and Francesca who joined me by phone. Andrea, Francesca, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yes, we're so happy to be here. Um, let me let me ask right off the bat. This is going to seem like one of those really dumb radio interview questions, but um, what is media ready feminism? Sure, Andrea. Do you want to go ahead, or would you want me to? Uh, why don't you go ahead, Francesca? <laughs> okay, <laughs> great. We think about media-ready feminism as the kinds of messages that are safe enough for mainstream media. These are calls to action, but they often only center white or upper-class Western problems and ideas. Um, so we like to also think of it as sort of like a watered-down feminism. Like, would you would you characterize hashtag Me Too as that? So well, hashtag Me Too is a pretty complicated um, phenomenon. But go ahead, Andrea. I didn't mean to step over you. Oh, I was going to say the same thing. I think hashtag Me Too is a very interesting example of media-ready feminism, and we do talk about that in the book. 
because obviously the media frenzy around Me Too was helpful for bringing issues of harassment in the workplace uh, to uh, the level of public discussion. But what's interesting is that hashtag MeToo had been started uh, at least a decade earlier by an African-American social worker to talk about the problems of many of the women she was seeing in her practice, and they were not what we call media-ready, which is what the high-profile, glamorous actresses who helped to publicize the issues of sexual harassment in the workplace in the media frenzy around Me Too were. They were media-ready, and so the mainstream media covered the issue because it was presented to them in a media-ready form by very glamorous, high-profile, relatively prosperous, wealthy, often, most often white actresses who uh, were the kind of women media were used to covering. Well, they were celebrities. And broke the movement. They were celebrities, exactly. So but it's interesting because in some ways, you know, this having this coverage that ultimately centered around Ronan Farrow, right, the, the male journalist at The New Yorker, um, in some ways kind of erased Tarana Burke's work, who had spent her whole life advocating and organizing around issues facing black women and girls. So even though her courage to power, like, you know, to speak truth to power was really important, um, and now we are learning from her legacy um, when it when it hit media and was media ready. Very little of that was acknowledged. At that. And when you and again, I want to understand this a little better. When you talk about media ready feminism, it's about messaging and and having messages that um, that the media can can digest and and. Um, and carry forward in in a very simple way. I, a lot of times, I, I talk about people getting their information from bumper stickers and Facebook memes. This is sort of this is sort of that is is tailoring messages to fit the way contemporary mainstream media um, carries messages forward. And and you say that it it downplays women's experiences of everyday sexism, but at the same time, it's pushing the boundaries of a feminism that's concerned with equality and gender justice. Um, How is it that it's doing both? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I wouldn't put this on the level of a bumper sticker. I mean, I think the media did some really important work when it covered uh, the Me Too movement. I think Ronan Farrow wrote a very interesting book about the problems he had getting major news organs to cover this set of issues. And he was a very important investigative journalist looking into this. But the underlying structural issue that we're trying to call attention to 
is that these issues of sexual harassment in the workplace and uh, in, up in, to and including actual sexual assault in the workplace are widely experienced by a variety of workers and most of it does not make it to mainstream media. When these things happen to celebrities, as you're pointing out, then the media can be persuaded to cover the issue. And Ronan Farrow persuaded mainstream media to cover the issue, and that was an important thing to do, and his coverage was in-depth of the problems celebrities were facing. But that doesn't even begin to touch on the much more widespread problems that much lower power workers are experiencing every day with these issues. Yeah, at the very beginning of that, there were a a number of things that that seemed to be going on. You had... Um, very high-profile women who, you know, could attract the um, spotlight, if you will, because they were celebrities already. And uh, mm-hmm. there's then there was this whole thing about Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> and, you know, I no offense to people from Los Angeles, but most of the country thinks that people in Hollywood are a little bit weird. And... <laughs> And and that, for some reason, their lives are just different than everybody else in the country. There was a moment where I think the media would have been happy with just canceling Harvey Weinstein and moving on to the next thing. Well, I, you know, I think it would be a mistake, and I think this is perhaps one of the issues with uh, the Me Too media friends, it would be a mistake to locate all of the problems with Harvey Weinstein. I mean, he was certainly a major transgressor and Well, that uh, was, that was my point. The, the, that was my point. The media likes to look for a poster figure. Yes, they mm-hmm. like to individualize structural problems. And I think that is one of our points in and, the book and and, right. and and then you have this this whole situation about hollywood being in a bubble in a in a world of its own and 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 then it completely negates what what goes on every day for women who find themselves in and and i hate to use this word but i can't think of another one subservient roles in businesses around the country um you know people that are um, income uh, at risk, well, income wise, and women of color. You know, none of that doesn't get explored without going past what's in the headlines. Francesca, right? I mean, that's definitely a big part of what we're talking about. So, with our book, we're saying media-ready feminism is the focus on a lot of what we're talking about together, right? This notion of individualizing structural problems and erasing what we call everyday sexism. And everyday sexism is this notion of um, normalizing things that they become so, the the action is so patterned that we don't really even see it, right? And this is a lot of what we're talking about in this conversation. 
you know, we have these highlights, the Harvey Weinsteins, and yes, um, shedding light on the monstrous behavior of a director that was, you know, essentially covered by Hollywood uh, for decades is definitely important and, and worthy of attention. But what we're saying is that attention often sideswipes and um, doesn't really get at the root of the problem. Uh, the root of the problem being that he was able to perpetuate and you know, feed off of young women in this power structure because he had a lot of money and he was backed by different producers and it was driven in a, in a mindset where his movies were making money. Um, but I think a lot of our conversations are, are overlapping in the sense that we have a lot of women whose stories don't get told um, and they don't get told because they're not media ready. They aren't the kinds of flashy, exciting stories that make the headline news. And so, unfortunately, those stories don't get told. And by not getting told, um, we really perpetuate that everyday sexism that we talk about in the book. So, for example, you don't really have to go any further than the local McDonald's down the street or the Motel 6 on your nearby highway to look at men with way less power and money than Harvey Weinstein, who may be supervising uh, women workers and perpetuating these same behaviors. And these women have no Ronan Pharaohs coming in to tell their stories in a glamorous, high-profile way because the media pay much less attention to their problems. And because our society tends to accept a situation where, of course, women have to navigate these kinds of advances and assaults in an everyday way in their work. And we've accepted this for so many decades that it's very difficult to make inroads into that everyday kind of sexist behavior that is widely experienced and widely accepted. I have a uh, break coming up here in about a minute. I, I, I have a question okay. I want to get into um, with, with both of you, but I, uh, I, I don't want to get 30 seconds into it and have to cut away. Can you stick around for a little bit so we can talk about this some more? Sure. Sure. Okay. If, uh, for the listeners, if you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We're going to talk some more about media-ready feminism and everyday sexism, a new book from Andrea Press from uh, University of Virginia and Francesca Tripodi from uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And Francesca, am I saying your last na name right? I'm terrible with names. You are. No, no, you are wonderful. Thank okay. You. Thank All you right. for asking. Terrific. <laughs> okay, everybody, we'll be back with Francesca and uh, Andrea after we uh, after we take this short break so by all means stay tuned we've got lots more of the tom sumner program still straight ahead 
And as I mentioned earlier, don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annanick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a new book called uh, Media Ready Feminism and Everyday Sexism from uh, authors um, Andrea Press. And uh, Andrea's from the uh, University of Virginia and Francesca Tripodi from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Andrea and Francesca, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around and sorry to make you sit through all that. <laughs> uh, we're happy okay. to be here. <laughs> um, in the last segment, you were explaining to me a little bit about what you mean by media-ready feminism and, and crafting messages that the media will, frankly, pick up and respond to and, and carry forward in their uh, print and broadcast uh, uh, presentations. Um, and it was it was clear as we were using uh, the hashtag MeToo movement as sort of an example of something that was media ready and got picked up and, and carried, but also something that overlooked everyday sexism uh, around the country and in, in at various levels of um, employment. Who? Who needs to be better prepared? And this is a kind of a probably both question, but um, is it the responsibility of the media to be more thorough when subjects come across their radar? Or is it incumbent on, on women to become activists and to craft messages that the media will respond to? Uh, I love that question, Tom. That's a great question. I think the media have a huge responsibility to help they shape publish, public consciousness about social issues, and they should be doing that in a democratic society. And so I think they have a responsibility to look beyond the media ready, beyond celebrities, beyond the wealthy and powerful, a responsibility that they often do not fulfill, especially around issues of everyday sexism. And that's what concerned us as we began to write this book. I agree, Andrea. I think that was very well said. Um, and I'm not sure who wants to tackle this one, but just recently <laughs> in the news, um, there was an the censure of a U.S. Representative Gozer for putting a uh, an animated uh, uh, depiction of him killing a colleague, uh, Alexandria Ocasio. Um, Cortez and I'm wondering if you think of that event as as being sexist or just typical of the divisive politics that we're experiencing currently 
I mean, I think any time that someone depicts violence toward a colleague, it's unacceptable. And the I I the agree, fact that but platform. I mean, the, the the fact that he was the platform for it that, that's like not only I think you know indicative of the problematic nature of someone who's an elected official posting such. Uh, I mean, a representative of the public, right, posting that kind of graphic imagery, but also, you know, it was a violation of the terms of service of the platform that he was on. Um, but, you know, I think I think the fact that Ocasio-Cortez is a really beautiful uh, Hispanic woman um, and the fact that she's regularly the target of harassment and memes um, is indicative of the everyday sexism that we talk about in our book, for sure. I, I, I guess I guess I'm trying to get a better understanding of um, of of how that's sexist, and I'm and I'm thinking about the the images that that uh, Kathy Griffin, the, the well, I don't know if you'd call her a comedian or not, but. Uh, you know, her with the severed head of Donald Trump, and and I'm just wondering if if we spend our time trying to treat this event as a sexist thing, if we're not working on the vitriol that exists in politics, period, and if we're furthering the the clouding of what's happening to women in the workplace all over the country every day. I don't necessarily think they're not correlated, right? So I think they may um, very well be. I'm just yeah. I I think the attention over you know what I could only describe as political theater, right? <laughs> I think every day there's something ridiculous. Um, I do think it's different when a comedian, Kathy Griffin, who also I don't care for her her sense of humor, but um, I think it's very different when a comedian um, posts something versus an elected representative. Yeah, I'll, g- I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, um, I'll you know, give and you I, that and I sure. also think you know, and I also think that a lot of the um, dismissiveness around Ocasio Cortez is uh, we can't deny the fact that it is definitely related to the fact that she is a young woman, right? Um, and, you know, the, the targeting that she's faced, um, her and the other uh, members of what, you know, they call themselves the squad, right? Uh, these are, it, it is not um, the fact that we aren't talking more about the fact that these are women of color, young women of color, and that they are repeatedly targeted um, with harassment campaigns, I think is really a huge part of what we're talking about in our book, right? Thinking about how we often gloss over um, the sexism that is embedded in the kind of harassment that women politicians face, um, women journalists face, women academics face, uh, especially when they are not white women. I mean, I think... This is a great example. You know, we don't have to make this more complicated than it is. It's a great example of everyday sexism that uh, young women of color are sexualized in these memes and in the media and that sexualization in some ways is the only legitimate 
frame media have to cover women. And I think some of the issues around the coverage of Hillary Clinton in her campaign uh, are indicative of that. She was bashed most uh, prominently by Donald Trump, but by many others, for not being young and beautiful, which is what media are looking for when they set, when they cover women. They're looking for uh, women who fall into their tr- uh, frame of sexualization, and that is accepted. You know, it's hard for us to question that because it's such a part of the everyday fabric of media culture that, of course, media love uh, a a woman who conforms to the frame of what a sexy woman looks like. And, of course, there's a certain kind of demeaning quality to that kind of coverage. It's demeaning Did to Cortez? cover a, a politician in a sexualized way. Why is she being sexualized? Why can't we just look at her qualifications for the job? Katie Couric talks about this at length in her new book. She said, because I was little and cute and conformed to some media trope of the sexual woman, my qualifications were constantly questioned and were constantly undermined. And I had to be twice as good in my job as male anchors were. And I was. And that's why I made it as an anchor. But, you know, this, this makes the workplace highly charged for even these powerful and successful and qualified women and doubly charged for a woman of color like uh, Alexandria, who has to fight sexualized tropes for women of color, specifically. Did Cortez and the others um, brandish that name, uh, the squad, or was that conferred on them? I, I don't Does know. anybody remember? <laughs> I, 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 I don't remember, and I thought maybe really one of them. I can't imagine that it was their idea. <laughs> that's that's kind of what maybe I was thinking, <laughs> but I couldn't remember either. Maybe it's like how Obamacare became something that Obama then just was like, oh, I kind of like it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. maybe, I don't know if it was like conferred on them, and then they just co-opted it as like, okay, yeah, we'll be the squad. <laughs> if they came up with it themselves, I'm not sure. I, I'm not entirely sure of this, but it may have been a Trumpism. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it may have been. But uh, getting back to what you were saying about Katie Couric, of course, there weren't as many women in broadcast media when Katie Couric started as there are now. There were some, and some that did very well. I Barbara well, there Walters. weren't because they weren't hired. I had That's, many colleagues who tried to make it in the business, and women simply were not hired. You know, they had to break through that set of biases and prejudices, and they could only break through when they conformed to uh stereotypes of appearance like Katie Couric did. She was media ready for the cameras and that was what she needed to be alongside being brilliant and twice as informed as her male colleagues. 
and now there are a lot of women in broadcasting, but they're still um, presenting the same stereotype that Katie Couric talks about. Why do do you think they're um, do you think they're selling out their gender for the success they're getting? Oh, I don't. I would never blame them in that. Well, that's manner. that's what I'm asking. Are they I to blame for blame not doing? Them. Of course not. They are doing what the industry demands in order to get a job and be successful, uh, and they hopefully are paving the way. For a broader path, there you that go. is That's more inclusive of women who do not conform to these narrow stereotypes of appearance. Is this Andrea? This is Andrea. Yes. Okay, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. What what do what needs to be done for these women to pave the way well we think the first thing that needs to be done is people need to read our book and they need to understand (laughs) what the everyday prejudices are because i don't think people often see them people Mm -hmm. just assume of course we would want uh, a woman who looks like uh, Jane Fonda or Catherine Deneuve to be in front of the camera. This is who we've always put in front of the camera when they're women. And those prejudices and biases need to be, uh, need to be examined and overturned so that we have a world where opportunities are much more open to a variety of women, and prejudices are, you know, the the kind of barriers women face in the workplace, which me too discussed, harassment, discrimination, and assault, uh, where they're protected from them. And then we will have a more even playing field. We don't have that right now. You know, I see that same sort of casting going on in... Uh local news programming, and, and here in the area where my radio show is based, there was a, uh, uh, an anchor um, young, young girl, mm-hmm. but not the typical anchor type. She wasn't, she didn't look like a Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. She was a little overweight. She wasn't unattractive, but she was a little overweight for a television news anchor. And like of, so many of the men who are anchors. And I think we are starting to see some of this changing. I mean, I'm actually very encouraged by the changes we've seen in the world over the past 20 to 30 years. What I was going to say is I was so disappointed because after a fairly short time, she disappeared. Ah, bummer. And it, it was especially disappointing because of all the women who were playing similar roles in this media market. She was the only one, I believed, understood what she was saying. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, I, and I know, think the I same think thing on the national seeing, stage, but mm-hmm. I, I just think we are starting to see some changes. They're painfully slow, unfortunately, uh, but the process has begun, and I I am very encouraged by discussions I see in the mainstream media of sexism, of racism, of sexual harassment. I mean, we've come a long way from 1952 or 1955. We just still have a long way to go, and people need to understand that, and that was part of our motivation for writing this book as well, that um, people tend to think, oh, feminism, that was in 1963, and we don't really need that anymore because there are a lot of women in high-level jobs. But in fact, uh, there's still a preponderance of men in very high-level jobs, and the women that are there face a variety of uh, dangers and harms and all kinds of discrimination, and those issues still need to be addressed at all levels of the workplace. In, in your book, Media Ready, Feminism and Everyday Sexism, are you primarily stating the problem, or is there a vision of what it should be like and some, some ideas on, on how to get there? Go ahead, Andrea. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean, I think we, uh, we do have ideas in each chapter. We look at uh, issues of the double standard. We look at wor- work-life balance for working mothers. Uh, we look at sexism on Wikipedia. Um, we look at sexual assault in the world of online dating and dating apps. So we look at a series of very specific problems and we talk about what the world would be like if uh, the issues women are facing were structurally addressed. But of course, we don't have all of the solutions to each one of these issues that women face in our society think, right now. No one does. Yeah, and I and I think we've talked a lot about the news media, right, and how news media coverage of feminism and feminist issues often highlight individual over structural. But in our book, we also complicate the role that entertainment media can play in pushing the boundaries, right, and pushing that envelope open. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talk about the ways that audiences interact with those various narratives, um, find meaning in places that are... Um, that that used to be taboo, right? Um, and think about subjects that were not on TV um, many years ago. Um, and so I, what we do in our book is, right, both think about the role of media is so large. <laughs> um, and so we think about how entertainment media um, can push the envelope uh, and, and allow us to think about different ways of um, structured inequality. Yeah, I think media can be and often has been a progressive force, especially entertainment media. And I'm thinking back to some of the 
Norman Lear sitcoms of the 1970s that were very popular on television, All in the Family, which tackled the issues of sexism and racism and really raised the level of public discussion of these issues. We're fans of the media. We're media professors. <clears throat> we study the media. <laughs> And then also, I mean, in our book, right, we talk about Game of Thrones and, uh, you know, in our yeah. book, we're also talking, we, we mentioned working moms. Um, so there are ways that, you know, these narratives definitely weren't around, right, when my mom was a mom. Um, right. and, and I think right. that they are getting at some of those uh, classic struggles of work-life balance. Um, and then we see them, right, in, in the desire for Congress to push open what counts as infrastructure? You know, in this incredible infrastructure overhaul, we were finally having open conversations about the fact that we don't have paid maternity leave, that we don't have good access to childcare. Um, and so I think if we have these kinds of legislation enacted, even if it doesn't pass, right? <laughs> um, if we, we see, keep having these conversations and pushing this narrative that's like, actually, it's not great, right? You know, we need more resources um, for parents if they want to be able to have kids. Um, you know, we need more access um, to maternal health care. Uh, so I, I think our book talks about how entertainment can open up that envelope. Um, and I do see a lot of really cool things happening with um, elected officials who are making or trying to make some incredible inroads. Yes, they really are, and I think uh, part of uh, what we're seeing is more women elected officials in more high-ranking places who uh, have concerns around these issues and are pushing them, and that's part of the process. Um, but it's important for us to point out ways that the media may present feminist issues as already accomplished when there is a lot of work remaining, a lot of work that still needs to be done around equalizing this playing field for men and women. Well, Andrea, Francesca, we're, we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Obviously, the book is... Uh, the perfect place to start um, but uh, do either of you have websites and or is there one for the book yes I think we both have websites I am Andrea Lee Press and I can also be found at University of Virginia where I'm chair of the media studies department this year and Francesca, you also have a website. Yeah, my website. Yeah, my website is ftripodi.com, and you can also use the ftripodi, which is ftripod i. You can follow me on Twitter. I love that ftripod i on Twitter. <laughs> and the book is available uh, at SUNY Press, the University Press of the State. Uh, of University of New York and at Amazon, Media Ready Feminism and Everyday Sexism. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it if you are readers of her book. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with me and keep up the good work. Thank you well, for, having for having us. us. All right. It's been take, great. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. 
And we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back to wrap up today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. It's 8 o'clock in Los Angeles. It's 9 o'clock in Denver. It's 10 o'clock in Chicago. In Baltimore, it's 6.42. (laughs) Time for the 11 o'clock report. First of all, the headlines. Welcome Wagon runs over Newcomer. Good Humor Man slays 10. Pen Pal stabs Pal with pen. Pediatrician dies of childhood disease. And Jacques Cousteau drowns in bathtub accident. We'll be back with full details in just a moment after this word from Cooley's Cigarettes. You know something, Bill? These cigarettes of mine, they taste like crap. (laughs) Say, Dan. (laughs) Crappy taste. Why don't you try the cool, refreshing taste of Coolies? Coolies, eh? You smoke them? Nope, found them in the subway toilet. (laughs) And now back to the news. History's 135th heart transplant operation was performed yesterday in New York City. One unusual note, the heart transplant took place in Central Park at midnight, and the donor's family was not consulted. Dr. Timothy Leary's brother, really Leary, today announced the formation of a new religion which teaches that when you die, your soul goes to a garage in Buffalo. (laughs) Police today arrested Margaret Fulcrum, a 45-year-old unregistered nurse, and charged her with accepting collect obscene telephone calls. Famed television announcer Charlie the Tuna was found dead today of mercury poisoning. (laughs) Sorry, Charlie. Good news from the Far East. No one was killed in Vietnam today. However, three people died of old age at the Paris Peace Talks. (laughs) And... 
Former French President Charles de Gaulle rose from the dead today, just to show everyone he could really do it. Well, that's it from the news desk for the latest in sports. Here's Biff Barf. Good evening, sport fans. Biff Barf here in the Biff Barf Sportlight Spotlight, picking them up and barfing them right back at you. I call them the way I see them, and if I don't see them, I make them up. No games today. However, we do have a few late football scores still coming in from the far west. Guam Prep, 45, Marshall Islands, 14. Mindanao A&M, 27, Molokai, 10. Caltech, 14.5. MIT, three to the fourth power. William and Mary, six. Nick and Tony, 105. And here's a partial score, Stanford, 29. Well, that's it, kids. That's it from the scoreboard in the world of golf today in the Fats Domino Desert Classic. First round leader Willie Waterhazard had a birdie, two eagles, and a duck this afternoon. <laughs> Meanwhile, the favorite Gary Fairway was way behind, scoring a record 609 strokes on the front nine when he accidentally stepped aboard a bus to Minneapolis while playing a difficult lie from the highway. Well, that's it, sport fans. Join me tomorrow afternoon on the ever-widening world of sports when I'll be presenting the national two-man pall-bearing championships. And next week, I'll be a guest hunter on American Sportsman. Six of us are going to kill a rabbit. <laughs> now, with the latest in weather, here's Al Sleet, your hippy-dippy weatherman. Hey, 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 what you call your possum? Al Sleety, Hippy Dippy Weatherman, brought to you by Parsons Pest Control. Do you have termites, water bugs, and roaches? Parsons will get rid of the termites and water bugs and help you smoke the roaches. Present temperature is 68 degrees at the airport which is stupid, because I don't know anyone who lives at the airport. <laughs> Downtown, it's much hotter. Downtown's on fire, man. Now, if you'll take a look at our national weather map, you'll see that we don't have one. So try to picture last night's map in your mind. Remember all those lines and numbers. Weather was dominated by a large Canadian low, which is not to be confused with a Mexican high. <laughs> Tonight's forecast, dark. <laughs> Continued mostly dark tonight. Turning to widely scattered light in the morning. That's it from Al Sleet. Don't forget, if you don't like the weather, move. Thanks, Al. Always a great report from Al Sleet. I think we all know by now, Al's been into the mushrooms. <laughs> well, that just about wraps it up on the 7 o'clock report. Join us again tomorrow night at 9 for the 11 o'clock news. In the meantime, stay tuned for a brand new comedy series, Double Trouble, the story of Siamese twins joined at the lips. <laughs> And the merry mix-ups that occur when one gets married and the other has root canal work the same day. <laughs> Good night, all. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you I'll see you on the other side We're all in for a bumpy ride it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to uh, all of my guests, including uh, this uh, past hour, Andrea Press and Francesca Cipotti from uh, uh, co-authors of uh, Media Ready Feminism and Everyday Sexism. And uh, before that, I got a chance to talk with the senior policy scientist at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, Sarah John, about healthy holiday supermarket savvy if you will we started out this morning talking about a new book called why is my child in charge by um, child development specialist claire learner and that's smoking george winters tickling the ivories let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but i'll be back tomorrow with an armchair politics edition of the tom sumner program Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine joining our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter and I hope you will too. Good night everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. 
If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.